This is Museum People, a podcast that celebrates individuals connected with the museum field by highlighting their work, passions, opinions, and personalities. In each episode, you'll hear stories and viewpoints from a variety of museum people, unsung workers to executive directors, volunteers to trustees, as they help change the world one visitor at a time. And now, the hosts of Museum People, Dan Yeager and Marika Van Dam. Where are we? Episode six. Unbelievable. Time travels quickly. We've had a lot of great feedback from the podcast. Yeah. And I thought maybe we could just revisit it and give a shout out to some nice people who gave a shout out to us. The Twitter feed, hashtag museum people. Jessica says, all the cool kids in the latest Museum People podcast. Thanks, nice. Jessica. That means we're cool. I like to think that we're cool. Yeah. Sarah says, finally had a chance to listen to Nima Net Museum People podcast. Great stories, ideas, and encouragement. Thanks. That's nice. Thanks, Sarah. Amanda says, loved Lori Lamar's interview on Museum People. Came into work this afternoon with a smile on my face. It's going to be a great day. Keep it coming, Museum People. Yeah. Thank you for contributing your thoughts. So moving on. Episode 6, mini interview with Linda Norris. You did this one. Linda. Linda's the best. She vlogs at the Uncatalogued Museum. She is a writer and she's an all-around just fantastic lady. I grabbed her at the conference last November, and I asked her some questions. Say who you are and an out-of-the-way hidden museum gem. I'm Linda Norris, and I'm an independent professional, uh, co-author of Creativity and Museum Practice, and I blog at the Uncatalogued Museum out of the way, hidden museum gem. Uh, I'm going to go out of the United States for this one. The, the Mikhail Bulgakov Museum in Kiev, Ukraine, where everything that is not original is painted white. So it turns our idea of what historic houses are upside on its head. Do you think that a museum in New England would ever tackle that? But I don't see why not. Right, they create. It's actually quite interesting because it's a literary museum, right? Mogolkov is an author, and they interweave the story of one of his books with the story of the house. New England has literary museums coming out our ears, so I think the opportunity to think creatively about literary museums is really, really interesting. What obstacle do you identify to museums succeeding? Fear. I think we are all like fear in the sense of perfectionism. We can't do it till it's really right. We can't put our labels up until we have like crafted every boring word that people spend 20 seconds on if we're lucky. I am a huge believer in prototyping, trying things out, trying it, spending no money, failing, learning from the failure and moving forward. So I actually think fear holds us back incredibly. If museums didn't exist, how would the world be different? Wow, we'd have more stuff in our houses. <laughs> Sorry. Basements would be overflowing. Know, right? It would be really full everywhere. Uh, if you think about museums as places not just of objects but of stories, I think there would just be a, a possibly a richer storytell tradition somewhere else. 
But it's also possible that the world might then be a place that more of us have more say about the stories that are told. If you had all the time and money in the world, what would your ideal museum side project be about? I have all kinds of exhibit ideas I'd love to do. And they kind of come from, they're all over. A comparative exhibition project that looks at the differences between Cold War Soviet toys and American toys. I have a random interest in. Uh, I think there's yet to be done. Uh, kind of a project that really has us look at the history of secretaries, which are now a vanishing breed. And I think what that says about work and women and our sense of who we are. I have little projects like that that are my ideal museum side project. Fear. Marika, what are you afraid of? <laughs> Getting through another podcast, Dan. <laughs> Fear, I thought that was so uh, unbelievably incisive because she's very honest and she really expresses something that I think is happening very frequently in museums. We are petrified of doing the wrong thing as opposed to taking chances on doing something a little bit different. In a sense, that whole question, though, of fear recognizes there's a certain vulnerability that we all have. We have a, a lot of positivity about what we do, but we are really concerned. And what are those concerns, really? Why is it that we don't just simply uh, try things, perhaps? We're not known as innovators. You no, know, we're not. I think it's a fear of not trying something new as opposed to trying the same thing we do a different way just trying something completely out there. Well, I have to say that I value folks like Linda, independent professionals, because they swoop in to a variety of museums. They see the big picture and provide new ideas to institutions. And some of the risk and some of the the uh, innovation is actually being done by a lot of our independent professionals who have a real handle on things uh, globally and are able to come in and actually do some really interesting programs. Yes. So let's talk about Emily. Let's talk about Emily. Emily Robertson. I first came across Emily in the context of knowing her mother, Susan Robertson, who's the director of Gore Place and is one of my own museum mentors. And I never knew that she had a daughter also in the museum field. And um, it's very interesting. As an aside, I wonder how many cases there are of intergenerational museum professionals. The family trade. The family trade. Guys, write in and tell us. We're very curious I'd about this. I'd love to know that. Please write in and let us know. Emily, however, is not just Susan Robertson's daughter. Emily is a true museum professional in many, many different ways. And we won't give a spoiler yet. But Emily is very close to museum people as well. So I'm really excited to introduce Emily Robertson. Me, in a nutshell, I actually grew up around museums, uh, a museum called Gore Place in Waltham, Mass., where my mom is the executive director. She's been there uh, a lot of years, and I grew up around that museum and was always interested in the field from that. 
I ended up after college at the Museum of Science in Boston, producing exhibitions for them. And I left in 2012 to go back to school to get my MBA at Babson College, which I finished in 2014. Uh, now I'm actually uh, working outside of the field at an engagement marketing and email marketing software company. And my involvement with the museum field, even though I'm not uh, traditionally employed in it right now, I also uh, volunteer in a lot of different capacities. I'm on a number of committees, um, collections committees, as well as marketing committees for some smaller sites in New England. And I also still record quite a bit of voiceover for the museum field. They're yeah. actually pr my primary client. Yeah. 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 Well, that's cool. So what provoked you to get the MBA and go off uh, in the direction away from museums? The last few years I was at the Museum of Science, I was very lucky to be able to be on the team that toured the Star Wars Where Science Meets Imagination exhibit, which the Museum of Science produced with Lucasfilm Limited out in California. And that was a show that toured worldwide, and I was um, uh, invited to be part of the tour management. And my part of it was to manage the marketing and new business development. So I uh, signed up all of our clients, got their contracts signed, and then helped them with marketing the exhibit in the various cities worldwide. The show went to 20 cities in the U.S. and Australia. Um, and this was incredibly exciting work for a lot of reasons, not just because it was about Star Wars, right. <laughs> which was very cool. Yeah. <laughs> but it got me really interested in how museums uh, and nonprofit organizations can develop products and services that make them money, make right. them earned revenue. Hmm. And I got really interested in that work and decided that uh, an MBA was the right place for me to go. I was just really interested in that, that side of things. And uh, so that brought me, brought me to Babson. Were there any other museum peeps in your MBA program? Uh, there was there was actually a library person, but really? no other museum people. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. <laughs> so you kind of hung out together and yeah, exactly, <laughs> <felt> exactly. <laughs> Beside the obvious differences of having a for profit purpose versus nonprofit or whatever, what kind of experiences do you have relative to the museum field? What are the big differences in your mind to how they operate, say, or? Yeah, culture. I would say how much they care about their customers. And I think that's something that we share in the museum field mm. with, with them. Uh, I find that museum professionals really do care about their customers. Yeah. We just we call them visitors, not right. customers, typically. We really care about our visitors. And I think museum people spend a lot of their day-to-day -day work um, trying to develop programs and exhibits and experiences that their visitors want. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that that's, that's where that comes up to that. Um, that triple bottom line, you know, where what is the, the, the people part of that bottom line and, and meeting what, what they want so that mm. they'll come in the door. What kind of lessons can we learn? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, certainly, I would say actually there's two really interesting lessons that I've taken away um, from my time there. One of them is that just about the just about customers, the fact that they love their customers and think about customers and what they want all day long, which has been fantastic. And the other thing I think is really interesting is... Um, just about thinking about strategy and where you would like your company to go, I think is also really, really important. And mm. so I think museums can also learn a lot from that as well. Yeah. Your big interest is data analytics. That's what you do specifically. What, what do we mean by data analytics and how does it apply to museums? Yeah, data analytics is a, is a pretty general term. It can also sometimes be called business intelligence or business analytics. And essentially it is, in any field, it is uh, collecting data about all different types of things that your company touches, so about your customers, about the products that you make, um, and then analyzing that data 
And then looking at the analysis, the results from the analysis, and turning that information into, into insights that you then use to run your business. So for a great example for the museum field would be to, when you make a new exhibit, many museum professionals will study parts of the exhibit. So they might survey visitors about what they want to see in the exhibit. And then they would look at the survey results and figure out insights that come out of those results and then mm -hmm. turn those insights into uh, changes that they use to make the exhibit. Right. So do museums do that a lot, or is it still kind of a frontier? Yeah, I think museums do a great deal of this work with visitor evaluation. Yeah. I think that museums have been at the forefront of that um, regarding studying human behavior and trying to understand and make better experiences in museums by uh, asking people what they want mm -hmm. or observing them using an, an exhibit, for example. I think an area that's probably more of a frontier would be the business intelligence or business analytics side, so sort of thinking about uh, collecting data about non-visitor activities, uh, for example, financial information, and then developing insights from uh, digging in a little bit deeper into that financial information and then using those insights to make better choices in, in the future. Right. I think that's an area that uh, museums could probably do a lot more in. Is this the type of thing that only large museums would be doing, or are there strategies that smaller museums could be using data in a much better way? I think all museums, no matter what their size, can improve their work in harnessing the power of their own data. I think to maybe a lot of small museums, they might look at that and go, um, they might not have the inside expertise to get it done, or they might say, we simply don't have the resources or time to collect more information and then analyze that. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of museums, whether small or large, they're already, they are already collecting a lot of information. And if they took a little bit more time to go through it and try to, to, to develop some insights out of it, they might be able to improve their operations or their visitor experiences down the road. Mm. For example, uh, a small museum that perhaps is not collecting visitor information when they come to the door might start doing that. And you could simply uh, take in a, a piece of paper and a pen and have the person at your front door ask visitors for their zip code, uh, where they're coming mm. from, or um, simply collect the time of day that they came in the, mu the museum. Uh, if they don't want to collect personal information from the visitors, they could just collect the time of day and the number of people in the group. Um, and then uh, they could simply take that sheet of paper where they wrote up all the numbers, yeah. put that, drop that into to Excel, and then you can use Excel to uh, develop a lot of different insights. So you can actually map it out. You can make pie charts and yeah. different kinds yeah. of graphs to see what, what trends are you seeing. You might, be able, you might learn... Uh, what is your most popular day of the week that visitors tend to visit? Yeah. Uh, or the most popular season? Or there are certain programs that are more popu popular than others. And that can be a way to actually get started with data. Yeah. What was the reaction of your museum pals when you said you were going to get an MBA? Oh, it had a lot of varied reactions, actually. <laughs> um, I mean, generally positive. I think some people were surprised because I, I find that um, I haven't found that the, the MBA degree is, is as popular as some other degrees in, a, in the field. It doesn't mean there are no other MBAs. There certainly are. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, yeah, I mean, I think it was generally, generally positive. I think they were excited for me because they felt that it was, um, they knew that I was interested in getting more education. Yeah. 
and uh, and I think they were excited that I was going to go off to Babson and be be in a new place and be around new people yeah. and and just learn more about the world and, and grow through that well, degree program. Do, do you find that people in museums don't consider themselves business people in a sense? Right? Absolutely. It's funny you say that. I actually had a couple of people. Their reaction was that I I wanted to get an MBA because I just wanted. I wanted to be like one of them. I just wanted mm. to go off and make money. Right. I wanted to profit. Yeah. Right. And my reaction to them was, well, nonprofits should want to profit too. Yeah. Nonprofit doesn't mean not profit. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. just means that you turn your profits back into your mission. Um, and you don't pay out to uh, to shareholders or other stakeholders of your company. Right. And so my reaction was, well, I'd love to go out and, and learn more. Um, yeah. You know, so that I could help any company in the future that I end up working for, whether it be for profit or nonprofit. Yeah. Well, so tell me a little bit about your voiceover career. How did that get started, and what do you what do you do? <laughs> yeah, I know. I get a lot of questions about that yeah. all the time. It's it's pretty unique. Right. Um, my voiceover career got started at the Museum of Science uh, way way back in 2002. Uh, I was an intern there, and I was uh, working on a new exhibition called The Computing Revolution. Mm. Um, and they had hired an outside firm to help with uh, to produce some media for the exhibit. And that firm hired a voice talent from New York to record the voiceover audio for the exhibits. And then that that um, that engagement with that contractor finished, and so they found themselves with one extra exhibit that had been produced a little bit later than the other ones, and hadn't the audio hadn't been recorded for it. Mm. And so they just asked around the team, hey, does anybody want to record this audio? And nobody wanted to do it except for me. <laughs> I raised my hand, That's of right. course, because <laughs> I love to do new things. A star is born. Yeah. <laughs> and I recorded it in, in, in the museum, and I absolutely loved it. It was really fun. Yeah. Another thing that um, worked to my advantage was that I have a lower range voice, yeah. which happens to work well for a lot of the exhibits there. Right. Works well for the, the playback equipment, um, the speakers that they have. So I got lucky in that way. And I think people liked my work, and I enjoyed working on the audio. So I just continued to record, and wow. pretty soon I was recording all of their exhibit audio. Wow. How many exhibits have you been the oh, voice man. of? Oh, I, I have never counted. I probably should count. <laughs> it's been a lot. I've Star recorded. Wars, though? The one yes. you did? Yeah, yeah right, produced, of course. Yep, yeah. for the Star Wars exhibit. recorded. actually wrote all of those labels as yeah, well. Yeah, cool. Um, and... I also just gave my voice to the audio labels for um, the Science Behind Pixar right. exhibit that they've just produced yeah. and are about to put on the road. Cool. Well, thanks, Emily. Appreciate it. It was great talking with you a little bit. And, of course, we appreciate you being the voice of museum people. Yeah, I'm happy to be, to be part of it, Dan. <laughs> a lot of fun. Great All to right. talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. so great. I loved her insights. I thought that it was very interesting for you to speak with someone who loves the museum field but had to step out of it to get a better sense of it. Mm. I think it's the whole MBA question is one that is one that I I questioned. A lot of people a lot of people flirt with that. Yeah. I'm curious about the reactions from people about folks that have an MBA. In our field, we tend to be a little snobby, I think, sometimes about this. Many of us consider ourselves, we're not business people. And that's a fact in some ways. We're not from that same cloth, necessarily, of being profit-oriented people. But we very definitely run businesses. I think it's interesting that you say that, because I think this this argument here is about 10 years old. I feel like we had this argument 10 years ago, and now people are actually kind of turned around to the idea that we are businesses. 
The other reason I thought Emily would be terrific to have here is because she is the voice of museum people. She has a voiceover career. And I think that's just so fascinating. Her story about how she had no clue. And the next thing you know, somebody said, who wants to do a voiceover? And she said, okay, I guess I'll do it because nobody else wanted to do it. And all of a sudden she found there was a talent there. Exactly. Museum people just are unique and have these elements and these depths. You just don't know when you see them. I have my own personal philosophy of be open to the universe. And I think Emily just exhibited it when she said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll try it. Why not? Well, Marika, episode six. Episode six has been an an absolute delight. It's come and gone. (laughs) Thank you for joining us, friends. Um, We love you, museum people, and keep up the good work. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Next time on Museum People. At a museum, there you are. There's the thing. And what's interesting to me is that there is a geopolitical difference, a geographical difference between our style and our approach to museums. Sure, Dan. You said a lot of things there that I can't really comment on all of them. But um, when I think about... I'm trying to show energy here. (laughs) (laughs) Museum People is a production of the New England Museum Association, which connects, inspires, and empowers cultural institutions to provide their communities with deep and authentic experiences. Have an idea or comment for Museum People? Go to nemanet.org slash museumpeople to provide feedback, get information about episodes, and learn how to subscribe. Thanks for listening.